Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 326, The Decentralized Revolution, recorded June 3rd, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known, actually, only during introductions. That's the only time anybody ever calls me that, as the Sultan of the Soapbox. And joining me here this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Janeer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Yopiites present today. Happy summer, everyone. It is summer now, isn't it? Is it is summer. Uh, well, actually, June 21st. So we're still spring. Oh, I've ripped off. We got 110 degrees outside. It's summer. No, no, it's <laughs> you still. It's it, it's only spring. Uh, it's pre-summer. Well, yeah. Really? Uh, so uh, last week we missed the show uh, for uh, two very good reasons. Uh, Miles was uh, attending some small sporting event. I'm not. I don't remember exactly what. <laughs> something insignificant, I think. Um, and uh, we were going to soldier on without him, but Seth had ac- absolutely no internet access due to a confluence of things. It, it was like he could have been struck by lightning on the way to pick up his lottery winnings, um, and had better odds of of everything that went wrong last week. So uh, at that point, we just decided that the uh, podcast gods had decided we were not doing a show so we didn't do a show but we're back yeah, either that or miles is a super hacker and didn't want us to do the show without him one of those two that's, that's possible oh, too yeah yeah me sporting events and technology oh i'll tell you all about that that's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell the audience what the sporting event in question was well i i everyone has a bucket list right and one of my things on my bucket list a buddy of mine and I, for years, have said we want to uh, once a year go to a major motorsport event for I don't know, like five years, like five times, right? Once every year for five years, and so we decided after you know years and years of of saying, yeah, we'll get around to it. Yeah, we'll get around to it. Okay, this was the year, so you have to book this stuff a year ahead. Last August, I booked us two seats for the Indy 500. And I've been to Indianapolis and to the Motor Speedway a couple of times before, but never to that race. And uh, I had to book a year ahead. I got some really great seats. And then, I don't know, maybe a few days before the race, realized that 310,000 people go to this thing. And it's the biggest, most populated sporting event on the planet. Um yeah, <laughs> you like gridlock? Yeah, that's where you get it. And all so, three hundred, well, yeah, all three hundred thousand people are only there because they hope somebody's going to crash. Yeah, we had a few of those, yeah. but we uh, uh, look. We celebrated. My my buddy from Australia flew over for this, and in his hometown is our uh, man, the guy we follow, a guy by the name of Will Power, and I'm happy to say he won the damn race. All right. Yeah, so we were extremely overjoyed, and uh, the celebrations continue. And uh, and unlike say um, Seattle or um, uh, Detroit, you didn't burn your city down when your guy won. No, okay. we were very well behaved. <laughs> really, no, we were. We were very happy, and uh, no, no, we were just it overjoyed to see our guy win the race. You know. That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. So the only monumental event uh, in my life last week, other than Memorial Day, uh, which is always a, 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 a 
a celebration of the freedoms uh, in honor of those who gave up um, their lives to defend those freedoms. Uh, I went to see the Solo uh, movie, Solo, a Star Wars movie, uh, with my wife. Surprisingly easy to get tickets on opening day for a Star Wars movie. Um, this has been the lowest grossing. They're, they're, they're hoping they will make their money back at this point. It's been the lowest grossing Star Wars movie. And people have been asking why. Um, and I'm going, I'm going to give a totally spoiler-free review. And, and part, that's part of the problem is you can't spoil it. Um, Donald Glover was excellent as Lando, Lando Calrissian. Um, the new guy whose name escapes me was fine as Han Solo, not not great, not terrible, but fine. Um, it was a good movie. I give it a B, solid B, maybe A minus. Um, not great, not terrible, worth seeing. And you know, let's face it, I'm I'm of the age and disposition that whatever Disney puts out with a Star Wars logo, Star Wars logo on it, I'm going to go purchase, and then I'm going to buy the DVD, uh, and then I'm going to probably see it more than one. I'm just that guy. I'm their core audience, uh, so I'm I'm going to take whatever pablum they feed me um, and be happy with it. But it was just a fine movie. Um, the The problem with it, the biggest problem, is we know the future of Han Solo and Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian. So there can be no real danger for these characters. Whatever is going on on the screen, whatever uh, potential danger they're in, whatever the precarious situation, you know they get out of it. Not only do they get out of it, but there's no serious damage. I mean, Han Solo doesn't have a scar on his face um, you know, in in uh, a new hope, uh, there's no nobody's missing a hand. Chewbacca, uh, you know, it doesn't get seriously; it doesn't lose an arm, right? So we we know these characters not only get through it, but get through it completely unscathed. Uh, and so that whether you're thinking about it or not, that's always there in the back of your mind that oh, there's there's no peril for these people at all. So the only people that 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 can die, the only people that can be injured, the only sacrifices it can make uh, are secondary characters that are introduced have five minutes of screen time and then sacrifice themselves. And there's no real, there's no real loss there. So I think that's the reason, uh, solo is just not doing well. And I think that's the problem that all of the prequel ask the between three and four, uh, movies are going to suffer from. Well, I mean, Rogue rogue one was good because well, yeah, they were willing to just go all out and scorch earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you didn't know. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. You didn't really know if everyone involved died. You knew a lot of them died, but but the same thing. You had you had to introduce these characters, and honestly, I didn't really care about any of them. Um, I mean, did I care that Saul Guerrero died? No, not even a little bit. Um, the main character whose name I don't even remember. I don't remember her name, and she was the main character movie. By the end, you know, I was somewhat interested in whether or not she lived or died, but not really. So that's the problem, but it's a fine movie. Right. Um, if it were not a star Wars movie, it'd probably be a better movie. Um, if you took that example, that same plot, the same things that happen, um, and change the names, people would probably have a better reaction to it. Uh, but another part of it is there are certain plot points they had to hit. They had to figure out how Han Solo gets the millennium Falcon. They had to explain the Kessel run. You know, these are things, these are plot points that they had to hit and they had to squeeze those into a movie. And, um, so it was contrived and there was no real danger, but still worth watching. Donald Glover's awesome. 
So that's my review of my movie, Seth. Uh, you saw a movie that I will wait until it comes out on Netflix because I'm not at all interested in it. But tell us about Deadpool 2. All right. So the spoiler-free movie, the spoiler-free review of Deadpool 2, it has very much in common with the first film. And I think part of what made the first film great was the, the was Deadpool breaking the fourth wall and the novelty of it and the you know that um, you've never experienced anything like it uh, in the superhero genre on screen and now Deadpool two was a lot more of the same. It wasn't as good of a story overall as the first Deadpool and I, I don't know it 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 was it was okay like you know if you compare. Like if you set the bottom has I have a new bottom in fan fiction uh, sequels that is the Independence Day one and you go up from there <laughs> to Matrix and then from Matrix you go up to um, like Pacific Rim um, you know it, Deadpool is okay it's it's not great it wasn't as good as the first one because I mean yes they use different dialogue but they delivered the same jokes and so. And that was my know. concern because I got tired in the first one of the jokey, jokey, joke, joke, joke. It, it was like every 45 seconds there was a dick joke. You could just count on it. Um, right. And I, I, from everything I've heard about the new one, it's more of the same. So it's like every 15 seconds now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, okay, he, he turns to the audience, you know, and goes, well, that seems like lazy writing. Um, okay, one time is good. But by the time, you know, like come around two and three, it's like, it's like, that's really lazy writing. Wow. So, um, not, not, not bad. There was like the character Domino, um, she rocks in this movie. Uh, and some of the, I'm disappointed that Stan Lee wasn't in it. Um, you know, and of course, the internet says it's just, it was like a scheduling thing. They just couldn't make it. So I was disappointed that there was no Stan Lee cameo, but a lot of famous people show up and, uh, some of them are very funny, uh, when they're in there. So. All right. And not, then not bad. Not but okay. And just one quick story I, I wanted to follow up on. I believe it was September or October. It's been six ish months ago, maybe seven. Uh, I told you about uh, that how I scored uh, and lucked into this uh, vending machine at a construction site that I lugged home, 700 pounds of it, um, and it was in, I cleaned it up and it was in good shape and I was going to put it down in my man cave. And I think I mentioned at the time that it was sitting in my garage because it's four inches too wide to fit through any door in my house. Uh, and so it was never going to go in the man cave. Also, it didn't work. So I called out the weirdest guy I've ever met. And I mean, let's be honest, that's saying something. I've met some weird guys. <laughs> I podcast with weird guys all the time. Um, and he couldn't get it working. He left. He came back a second time and couldn't get it working. And, and, and like, I don't know. I don't really. He's kind of one of those like Kramer type guys. You never really know what's going on in his mind. He just left. He didn't tell me he was. He left his tools. Like, I still have his power drill uh, and his, his voltmeter in my garage. He just walked away. And that was like before Christmas. Um. And I've texted him a couple of times. He hasn't responded. I owe him money for the time he was here. 
and I have his drill, but he just left. It's like maybe he just got so frustrated he couldn't take it anymore. I don't know. Um, but he's gone completely off the radar, so I'm, I'm just I'm done with this thing. Uh, initially, I thought I might convert it into a smoker because that would be cool. It's huge and it's got the glass door and everything. But it's 700 pounds. Where am I going to put this thing? How am I going? Wherever I put it, that's where it's going to be for the rest of the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm never moving it again. So I put an ad on Craigslist. Make me an offer. I want it out of here. Uh, I said I t- put a couple of pictures of it. It said it doesn't work. I don't know why it doesn't work. It may be simple. It may be hard. I don't know. Make me an offer. And of course, the first question everybody asks, how much do you want for it? What does make me an offer mean to you? <laughs> I was thinking you were going to get the, oh, does it work? Uh, yeah, I got that. Well, I did. The, the, the after, uh, how much do you want for it was, does it work? And then the other one was, well, what model number is it? The model number I put on the correct, did you even read the ad? Can you send me some pictures of it? So I sent the guy the same pictures that I'd posted on the ad. And uh, finally, he, he decides to come get it. And, and I said, bring help. It's 700 pounds. And he, he wrote back, ha ha. No, and I sent him a link to the manufacturer website where it said shipping weight, 700 pounds. So I'm, not, I'm not joking. It's that heavy. Um, that's a feature. They, they, they tout that on, their, on the website that it's, it's hard to steal because it's so heavy. So college kid shows up with three of his college buddies in a mini truck, not even a full-size truck. Um, and I'm like, right, <laughs> this is not my thing. You guys load up, uh, have a blast with it. Um, and then as he's, uh, we've got, they managed to wedge it onto their tiny truck, which is riding at about a 45-degree angle now. Uh, and as they're pulling off, my wife says, did you tell them why it's in the garage? I said, oh, no. Uh, yeah, it's 39 inches at its narrowest point. You're not going to get it through any standard doorway. Good luck with that. And then I put the garage door down and walked in the house. Um, so he paid me 75 bucks for it. And so it's out of my house and I have a garage again. So the end of my vending machine story, sadly. I really wanted it, but I was glad to have it gone. So scratch that off of a ways to make your first million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Miles was all get it fixed up and start a business and teach your kids about how to be entrepreneurs. At this point, I'm like, I it didn't cost me money to haul it to the dump, so I'm proud of that. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> all right, so now let's move on to the subject subject of the week. Uh, so we've been uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Uh, I took two months and planned the first two months. Seth planned the next two months, and and we're now in the first couple of months of of Miles's. Uh, uh, show topics and so we're about to dive down the geek rabbit hole heavier than we have in the past you know uh, mine were pretty heavily pop culture seth was a lot more science uh our uh, uh, history and science and news and stuff and now miles is about to go all populist on us so power <laughs> to the people miles well yeah deep diving here um i wanted to give just bring a conversation up about something which i think seems to have been forgotten in technology and and that's decentralization so what i mean by that is if you're a, an old hat at this stuff uh you may remember the days of the old mainframe computer uh you know it's probably still a few of them around but basically you had a terminal to some big computer somewhere that you had some timeshare on and we're talking 70s 80s sort of that sort of time well, the interesting thing about those types of computers is that because they were centralized and there were the people who controlled them, and we often refer to those people as the priests of the computer, uh, who would con- you know, either allow you or disallow you access to these machines, 
it spawned the revolution that is the personal computer revolution. You know, a bunch of geek hobbyists wanted their own computer and then want to be dealing with, you know, Lord so-and-so, a priest of the mainframe. They wanted their own machine in their bedroom. So they built one and that created Apple and Tandy and Commodore and everybody else. And so uh, the interesting thing about decentralization is it's often a bit of a, a reaction or a, kind of activism almost against proprietary centralization of computing. I bring this up because this is a cycle which is repeated over and over again. We went from mainframe to personal computer and then eventually to local area network and then eventually to the internet and then we have web servers and now we're back into the they're centralized and we've all got these dumb browsers and we're back into the centralized computing uh, situation. And it just seems to me that this cycle, you know, where we put the power back into the individuals, whether that be mobile technology, whether it be IoT, um, whatever it might be, is always a predictable and repeating event with computers. And I think we're at a point right now where we're about to go full hog crazy into decentralization. But what is really interesting to me, which is something I wanted to open up, you know, kind of a discussion about, is it doesn't seem to be limiting itself to computing anymore. Decentralization seems to be looming, you know, rooting itself in anthropology almost. It's like we are now finding decentralized money, like Bitcoin, for example, and we're finding decentralized file storage, uh, like BitTorrent. And we're finding decentralized, I don't know, social media maybe. Uh, maybe maybe not. That's still sort of centralized around the Facebooks and Twitters and so on. But it seems like there's decentralization going everywhere. And I wanted to at least raise an alert or raise some focus on what whether you guys think this is a good thing, a bad thing. Is it truly power to the people or are we living in some sort of myth and it's never ever going to be power to the people? Yeah. I I agree. So I <laughs> <laughs> I mean sorry. Well do, well, do you I, think well let me ask you a question. Do you think okay. decentralization is inherently a good thing? Well, I, you know, there's the demotivator that I first thought of whenever you started talking. Uh, none of us is as dumb as all of us. So um but <laughs> Decentralization is great when you have a a populous a population segment that is willing to put in the work to do it. One of the reasons decentralization seems to fail every so often is people get lazy and you know I don't want to protect my money. I want to put it in the bank, centralize all of our money in the banks, and let the banks uh, own it and let us rent our money back from them. Uh, you know. Everybody could be running Linux and rolling their own operating system, but no, we don't want to do that. We want to run to Apple and have them tell us how we're allowed to have one button on our device that can do 17 different things if we hold our tongue just right. So I love the concept of decentralization, but unfortunately, the society that I'm familiar with, I, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but the society I'm familiar with doesn't seem to care much for decentralization. They want to have um, 
they just they I can't think of the right word. You know, they want to have the security of somebody else to yell at, uh, to blame when something goes wrong, so they don't have to blame themselves. Hmm. What do you think, Mark? Well, I'm reminded of the uh, quote often attributed to Mark Twain, but everything's attributed to either Mark Twain or Ben Franklin. So I don't know if it really is or not. Uh, that uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Uh, and this is just a rhyme uh, throughout all of history that people um, who are decentralized come together for the organization and the unity of purpose that centralization offers. But with that, they have to give up uh, some autonomy and they uh, ag- uh, agree to certain rules. They Then a group of people chafe at those rules and break off and decentralize, leaving a small group that, a uh, smaller group that is still centralized and now the new decentralized group. And it's it's like mitosis of cells. You you never lose the original centralization, but you can you continually decentralize and recentralize. And yeah, the, the personal computer um, took away the need to have a central mainframe but now, as we move things, quote, to the cloud, we're just having terminals in the mainframe again. So I don't, I don't think that, I think humans are too fickle and, and too unruly to ever truly be decentralized. We will always need some central authority. We will then chafe at that central authority and start all over again. Like HOAs are a great example of that. You know, a group of homeowners get together and decide they want a way to force Bob down the street to put his trash cans behind his house instead of having them out front. So they form an organiza- uh, organization. They vote that Bob is wrong. And then somebody else takes over that organization and decides that not only can Bob not have his trash cans out in front of his house, you can't park your boat in your own boathouse. You have to move it off somewhere else. And then you, you and so that's, it's just human nature. So you th- see it as kind of like a sine wave thing. It's like it's sometimes and it's going to go up and down based on whether people get fed up with who's managing centralization or right. so, they feel controlled. Yeah, so there will always be uh, a need for some sort of unity and humans being what they are, they will always demand autonomy. Those two things will always be, uh, you know, a sine wave is a good example of bouncing back and forth. Uh, between lesser or greater extremes. I, I always think of it like a pendulum. You know, the pendulum swing starts big, and then it swings uh, smaller and then smaller and then smaller. And then just when you think it's about to hit homeostasis, something big happens and moves this pendulum big again. And, and, and that's the way I see this happening. Okay. Okay. I mean, the one, the one thing that kind of came to mind with me was that technology advancing the way it has has empowered that, that, that pendulum. Because if we didn't have an internet where we could connect everybody together, we wouldn't have the opportunity to decentralize. And yet having the internet has seemed to have been almost the polar opposite of that. Um, The big winners have been central, you know, uh, stopping points on the internet. Um, I had a very interesting experience at the airport when we flew back from Indianapolis. We came in on a very late flight. It was just after midnight. And so I wasn't expecting there to be too many cabs at the airport to get home, but uh, I went out looking for a cab and there was nothing. I mean, not one in sight. There were maybe half a dozen people waiting for cabs, but no cabs. So, of course, I pick up my phone and I do the Uber thing, right? And all of a sudden on my phone it says, yeah, there's an Uber three minutes away, but you have to go onto the other side, the other concourse at the airport and go to section eight or whatever and wait there because that's where Ubers pick up. So three minutes we're like, oh, Should you get a cab go. to get to the Ubers? 
Yeah, almost, yeah, but of course there's no cabs. So we read, ran across to this other thing, got there in time, and when I arrived, there must have been 80 people all with their smartphones out checking their Uber and a, and a line of Ubers you couldn't see the end of coming into the airport. And obviously that told me the death of the taxi <laughs> and the rise of the Uber. If you think, what is Uber? It's a website. They don't own anything. They don't own a fleet of vehicles. They don't own big assets or anything like that. It's a website. It's a technology company. And it's supposed to be the bastion of decentralization. Until but, such time as they start imposing rules where Uber drivers don't want to follow those rules, and then you have a lift. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess you could see that repeating with Lyft. You can see that repeating with Airbnb. Um, all of these supposed sharing economy, decentralized, um, you know, butlers, websites that, that facilitate that sort of thing, eventually they have to become evil too. And now they're centralized in a decentralized sharing economy and the downward spiral continues. Um, I... I'm not sure where this ends up, but it just seems a very interesting dynamic. You know, you see this thing go up and down, up and down, like like a sine wave, as we say. Um, I I did have a very interesting experience a few weeks ago, though. I uh, my wife and I went to uh, a place in Mexico we go to pretty regularly uh, called San Carlos. It's a small ex- expat community, uh, maybe about eight to ten thousand uh, gringos you know, uh, Americans and Canadians for the most part. And uh, there's no governance down there. It's a true, I guess I'd call it a voluntarist uh, community. Everybody looks after everybody else. It was really interesting. The people are incredibly nice to each other. You you know, we, we had an Airbnb in, in a, an area in town overlooking the ocean and you'd get up in the morning and you'd see people walking down the street and they'd wave hi. And, you know, I remember we when we were leaving, we were loading bags into our car and this lady just walking down the street who just out in a walk, she says, here, let me help you with that. Comes over, picks up bags, puts in the car. It's like, we didn't ask her to do that. Um, if I was in... New York, I think she's trying to steal my bag. No, she's trying to hit to help because everybody helped each other. There it was crazy. Um, we were talking. And what is it? To, what so is it ahead. about human nature that makes you immediately suspicious of generosity? Uh, living in Los Angeles long enough, I guess <laughs> that'll do it. Um, no, I mean it. It's wonderful to be generous, but it doesn't happen like that anymore, does it? No, I I was at came walking out of a tractor supply. I had bought some dog food and you know, and there's these two ladies like two cars down from me and they have this like fifty pound sack of food they wheeled over to their car and then they're looking at it and they're looking at the open trunk. And so I'm like, you know, okay, I I'm fat, but I mean I'm not that out of shape. So I walk over and said, Would y'all like a hand with that? And of course they were grateful and so I just pick it up and put it in their trunk for them and so yeah, that seems to be the exception that that happens now rather than the rule. Yeah. Well, what I uh, having, you know, kind of been weirded out by this whole, wow, people are nice here. Um, after <laughs> after getting strange. past that. Yeah, this is strange. I'm not used to this. Um, I was talking with the local real estate company there, and they were telling me that the way this community works, because they're detached from government, right? There's no 
government of San Carlos. They're in Mexico. They're not in the U.S. So they they created their own voluntarist ambulance service. So everybody chips in like 150 bucks a year, and they bought an ambulance. And everybody shares a time to be sort of the on-call 9-11 operator, if you like. And if somebody has a fall, somebody has a heart attack, somebody needs medical assistance, there's a town eight miles away that has a hospital. But to get somebody to that hospital, they take care of that first stage triage. And it's all done by volunteers. And if you're a nurse and you've got services to offer – you chip in and you are rewarded by the validation that you've got something to offer. And uh, it's just amazing how they did this. They did this on their own. There was no central government, no giving up your power to a third party to do it all for you. No, they took it upon themselves to take care of it. Um, We were talking about postal services. And what they did was they worked out that the closest U.S. town to uh, where they are is Tucson. So they went up to Tucson and they found a deal with a, you know, one of those mailbox providers and he uh, sold them a big mailbox for the town. So anytime you need mail, it gets delivered to Tucson. And because there's so many people going up and down the 15 freeway from Mexico to the US and back all the time, every time you go, you check to see if somebody needs to pick up the mail and you pick up the mail and when you come back, you bring it back. You are UPS. You are FedEx, and everybody shares the responsibility, and everybody benefits from it. And I'm blown away by this stuff. I mean, this doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a price to be paid for that because there's no, you know, two day, two business day prime either. You know, right. you, there, there's a price to be paid for freedom. Yeah, I mean, there's a Walmart in the close, you know, nearest town that's not far away if you need something urgently. But if it's like personal mail or, you know, your bills, things like that, this is how it works. Um, it's, it is de- – uh, to get back to the decentralized approach, there can be a solution in truly decentralized without requiring massive governance. It, it obviously works in computing. That's how we had client-server computing. I think it works in – human anatomy and human social awareness but i don't think people you have you can't be lazy right you have to be willing to accept your own responsibility on things and then once you get past that point then you give to your neighbor right you look after your backyard and then you help them deal with theirs i and think that, that's still available you know that's an excellent point you mentioned computer networks uh you know the the internet the 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 way in which three people in three time zones are able to communicate in real time uh is because each of our sending devices takes full responsibility for making sure the information gets where it needs to go and it'll retransmit as many times as it has to it's a completely decentralized uh protocol uh everything is happening uh you know uh, sort of on good faith but the end user the 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 receiving point 
is free to discard whatever it wants to, anything that's garbage, and all the responsibility is on the sending packet. I hadn't really put it in, thought of it in those terms until you just said that, but that's why it doesn't work for humans, because we're unwilling to take the responsibility to make sure that the work gets done. We're unwilling to do the work twice or to do extra work to make sure that we get our end result. We want to do half or, or just a little less than half of the work, and then somebody else has to, to come the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's a future in this, but I say that cautiously because I think it comes down to there's one thing to to rant and rave against the man, against you know the authority, against the government. At the same time, you have to be willing to actually do something. Um, and rather than being aggressive towards it, maybe there's still a chance for us to invent our way out of this mess. What do you think, Seth? Hmm. I, you know, like I say, the decentralized notion is going to work great, like the example of expats you gave, until somebody's going to come along and they're going to say, hey, if everybody will pay me, I will always make that run. And then people will say, you know, I don't want the responsibility of making sure, so sure, I'll, I'll chip in, I'll chip in, I'll chip in. And so this thing that on the surface is a decentralized thing will become centralized. And so I, I don't know. I, I love the concept, but decentralization, I, I think the Chinese word for that is Shangri-La, maybe. <laughs> um, I, it, it's a great pipe dream, but it just, hum, humans are too flawed um, as a species to uh, for decentralization to work for the long term. You know, we're also too... Um, and we're too flawed to allow ourselves to be totally rolled up uh, into one centralized bureaucracy for the long term either. There'll be this continual fight, I think. So, Well, so I, you said the long term. I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't think it's about uh, uh, duration, but about scale. Um, we Things like this work on a small scale. When you expect them to work on a large scale – that's when systems break down. Um, and that's why people, you know, that's why we're seeing, you know, cryptocurrencies, uh, depending on who you read, they're either taking off or they're melting down. And and that depending is, of course, depending on what the writer, what stake they have in it. Uh, cryptocurrencies are sort of our first attempt at this, de- it's taking something important and decentralizing it. Um, you know, the internet was obviously the the uh, early thing about that, but it wasn't important for a very long time. It became important after it proved itself. And we're trying to take cryptocurrencies, we're trying to take this thing and and say it's important, the currency, and, and then take it decentralized and try to prove that it works after we've put importance on it. And, and I think that's kind of the problem. This stuff has to be proven to work before anybody will trust it, but people inherently don't trust things um, that aren't, that don't have somebody's name on it. I mean, when I was working in the education world uh, and I would try to imp- uh, implement some open source thing, the thing I got all the time, all the time was what 800 number am I going to call when it breaks? Well, you're not, you're going to call me. You, you pay me. To fix it there you don't need an 800 number but again there's that authority that sense of of somebody else's responsibility as long as i know that there's somebody else who's responsible for this i'm willing to implement it but when the responsibility is ambiguous that's where we have dis- difficulty yeah i i would agree with you there i think the one thing that linux got it it kind of got a bad rap 
at being the the dirty bit of technology that no one cleaned up after and and it had that kind of college fraternity feel to it like they, these people can't be serious you know they don't shave they don't bathe no. enough you know and and that doesn't sell well when you're up against the suits of IBM or Microsoft or or whoever um, however funny thing is they use that you know, the unbathed technology is the underpinnings of everything they sell. They just, you know, know how to put lipstick on a pig, I guess. I mean, one could say that the, the, that democracy is the ultimate in decentralization. And, you know, we Americans don't even trust democracy. We have a republic based system because the decentralization of democracy is a little too unstable for something we consider important. Um, you know, when people are given the opportunity to be truly decentralized you end up with a mob that's been proven time and time again well there okay there is a movement in the technology space towards decentralization particularly coming out of the the new generations in in the silicon valley and there is a uh, a series of conferences that are going on all the time called i think they're called d3 um, that are all about decentralization. They have them all over the world. They're very popular. Uh, a lot of you know big thinkers go there. And I think a lot of the popularity of this came from the cryptocurrency community because they saw that uh, things like Ethereum and, and smart contracts and you know the, the world computer and all that sort of thing was the epitome of decentralization and that there might be a way that we can leverage this technology to solve a lot of human problems and certainly value transfer or money is one um the concept of law or truth or accepted um reality who owns what is another um there's so many opportunities in all of this and it seems like decentralization is a common theme in how they want going forward to try and solve these problems um have you guys come across these before are you seeing the this in any any part of your normal daily life only in news articles on the web you know ethereum and 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 trust and and contracts i like the idea of decentralized uh, uh truth um we we are sort of i don't know programmed from early on to think that all truth must come from a central authority and and you know you you go get a marriage license uh not uh because you you need to have any special skills to get married but because the central authority says yes you're married you 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 get a uh, all these things that we have a central authority that that gives us our truth i like the idea of decentralized truth but it's a it's a dodgy thing that it, it's it's such a paradigm shift that i'm not sure that we can do it in my lifetime and the thing about that, so much of the centralization happened in our parents' lifetime. You know, you gave the example of the marriage license and all the other things you have to have licenses for now that two or three generations ago you didn't, that we accept has, you know, the, the great centralized authority of a federal bureaucracy has never done any wrong and is all wise. Um, and they know what's best. And it's always been that way. Whenever you transport our grandparents into today and they would say, I don't have to get that to do this. I've been doing it that way my whole life. Hmm. And so I don't know. Interesting thoughts. Well, in summary, I wanted to at least draw a parallel between 
you know, it's easy as geeks. We, you know, we go don't get out of the house much and, we, you know, we're on the computer all the time and we're doing programming or whatever we're doing. And in that little microcosm world, we've created a Petri dish that really is the anthropology of the human species and all of the problems that we tend to find a solution for in technology because it's a very two-dimensional, you know, controlled environment. Computers don't have feelings. Computers do what you tell them to do reliably all the time, repeat and, you know, rinse and repeat. We don't have that problem with, with, well, those problems become almost like a beacon for how humanity might be able to perform against them. Um, Or not, I don't know. I'm just curious as to why the geeks seem to see things ahead of social revolution in some ways, you know. Because geeks are bad at social. Yeah. 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 And I don't know. It's not that we're bad at social. We're our social is a different kind of social. And the reason it's easier for geeks is because we've rejected the greater societal culture and substituted one of our own choosing. And so because I mean, and in a lot of ways, we're two separate societies and, you know, and there's translators on the fringes trying to make sure they don't get too far apart. And so that's why one's able to do one thing really well and the other's able to do the other thing really well. So maybe our society just isn't as rigid uh, or the the rigidity in our society is in a different place than the rigidity in the greater society as a whole. How's that for some deep thinking? I like Sounds it. good to me. <laughs> I want to. I want to have a further conversation. Not not tonight. We're we're out of time, and and we we need to think to do this uh, well. But I want to have a further conversation at another time about this concept of decentralized truth. Uh, uh, for example, Martin Luther became an outcast among the religious folks of his day because he wanted to decentralize truth. He wanted to take the Bible and translate it into German, the common language. And then the the power brokers of religion in his day didn't like that because, well, then anybody will know the truth. And when you decentralize the truth, the people in power uh, don't like that. So I, I, I think you've stumbled onto something here, Miles, that is more that is deeper than I realized uh, initially. Yeah, um, I, I noticed when I was putting the notes together, I, if I had done this 10 years ago, it would have been a bits and bytes discussion about, you know, good networks, bad networks, good mainframes, bad mainframes. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing it's just a metaphor of what society is all about. So, yeah, this, maybe the answer is in history. Yeah. And since we've brought up history, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. All right, Mark. Well, I want to let you and everyone else know that on May the 31st, 1991, all your base are belong to us. So uh, Sega releases the video game Zero Wing for the Sega Mega Drive system in Europe. While the game was never released in North America and was relatively unknown until years later when the poorly translated opening scene was popularized on the internet. And so all your base are belong to us was a meme before there was memes. And uh, it is awesome. And so that happened this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. There was a time not too long ago when the your direct measure of cool was whether or not you could proper, uh, properly use the phrase, all your base are belong to us. Yep. I stumbled over that one many a time. <laughs> 
I uh, the original video that made it popular is on YouTube. You can find it, and uh, you know all of its techno remix, uh, eighty or nineties thumping glory. Awesome. <laughs> um, and and today, if you th- said that to a kid, they probably wouldn't get the reference at all. Um, but not only would they not get the reference, they wouldn't un- even understand what it means. So you know when. Just a few years ago, high school kids were making fun of me for not knowing what it means, and now high school kids don't know what it means. So, cool is a moving target. (laughs) They only say that because they haven't achieved our level of cool. That's the only reason they say that. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity? That's making you look like a better hiring option. Monet, Monet. That's um, if you've ever wanted to monetize your website, you can go to monetizeyourwebsite.com and put in the URL. And if you've ever wanted to, you know, this is how you do it. So to monetize your website, go to monetizeyourwebsite.com. Link will be in the show notes. And um, I'm doing it, it now. It's, it's visual. You have to. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I could tell by the spelling, I think, where this is going to go. I'm still loading, uh, but I get the feeling this is a really heady joke. It Uh, is, and uh, it it took me a minute to realize what was going on, and I was like, oh, this is is, is greatness, I think. (laughs) This is the perfect... (laughs) For sites like this, the internet was born, and I thank you um, to the person who put the time and effort into this. Yeah, I mean, there's... Dozens of articles written every day about how to to uh, to monetize your website, and this this place does it all in one shot. Um, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, thank you, Seth. This this is life changing. <laughs> I thought so, but yeah. And so this is visual. Um, just go to uh, go to um, what just elementop.com and find the uh, Geek Rant episode 326, and it will be under Seth's link down at the bottom. And monetizeyourwebsite.com. Yeah, and it, you're, you're guaranteed 100%. I mean, this is this is rare. Not only is it free, but it's guaranteed to monetize your website. So, <laughs> awesome. All right, and now this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Let us know what you think. Uh, ask us questions, that sort of thing. You can go to elementop.com, the newly monetized elementop.com uh, website, and... Uh, Click the contact us button at the top of the page. Uh, answer the world's hardest captcha. Fill out the form there, and that will get a, a send a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. And I will read your message. I will probably respond to your message. I will I, I will likely ridicule your 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 grammar and typing, but that's okay. Um, we uh, we encourage your feedback here. You could also go dial five five nine I M O P and leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice uh, uh, mail, and and we'll play that on the air most likely. Or you can send an email to element op at geek rant at elementop.com there it is um and that goes to all three of us lest you think i am filtering mails to the other two um we like to hear what you think we uh especially if you think good thoughts uh um another thing you could do that would be really awesome is if you told other people what you think if you like our show specifically i mean i i do appreciate the couple of people and, and it's just a couple who've taken the time to log in to itunes pull up our listing there and comment really negative things i appreciate the the passion and the effort that you went through to go there uh to do that i understand that uh geeks are passionate people and i I respect you for doing that but i would really 
prefer that if you're going to go through all that effort, you could at least say something positive uh, about the show. <laughs> so I would appreciate if you did that. Also, uh, you know, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcast, if there's an opportunity there to rate and review, I would appreciate it, appreciate it if you did that. Uh, there's also the option to go to patreon.com slash OP and uh, throw money at us. Money is always a good thing. We like so, money. We like money. Uh, money would uh, make sure that I have a better rig here so that my face doesn't suddenly go ghost white every few seconds and I have to fix it. Uh, but since only three of you ever watched the live streams, uh, it doesn't really matter. I understand. Uh, so anyway, um, thanks for being with us. This is always, as always the best part of my week. Uh, Miles, Seth, any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight? No, <laughs> not really. And that's why they're the best in the business, or at least the best <laughs> I can afford on what I pay them. Um, thanks everybody for listening we'll see you next week because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant